And we are coming to a chapter that focuses on the necessity to memorialize what God has done. Now chapter 3 that Pastor Dennis spoke on, it focuses, chapter 3 focuses on the preparation and then the parting of the Jordan River so that the Israelites can get to the other side and cross into the land of Canaan. And now chapter 4 focuses very similarly to chapter 3, but it continues and focuses on the crossing of the Jordan, but also the commemoration of this mighty act of God. And you may ask, why the need to memorialize this miraculous event? If you, if you haven't noticed yet, we're, we're all the way in chapter 4 of Joshua, and there hasn't been a single battle that's been fought. Why doesn't the book of Joshua just start in with the battle of Jericho? Because Joshua is setting out not just to tell the history of Israel, but to show where their victory is will come from. Why the need to memorialize this miraculous event? I mean, wouldn't it stand to reason that that this event would stand out in the people's mind and be a story that would be told for generations to come? I mean, it's not every day that The waters are parted and you walk through on dry ground. There was only one other time this happened and you read about it in the book of Exodus. Why does God have to tell them specifically to memorialize this event and it's documented in Scripture that this is what the people were to do? Well, we are a forgetful people, are we not? In fact, I think in our own lives, we can, we can often think back and how many times do we say, well, I'm certainly going to remember this. There's no need to even write it down. How many of you get caught in that trap? You think this is, this is such a no-brainer that I'm going to definitely remember this. Maybe it's a conversation you had. Maybe it's a to-do list that your spouse gives you. It's a grocery, there's grocery items, whatever it is. Well, of course, I'm going to the grocery store and I need to pick up just these three things so I don't need to write it down and what happens. We are a forgetful people. In fact, according to one report, One report says the memory capacity of the brain is around 2.5 million gigabytes of digital memory. How many many of you would like to have a computer with that many gigabytes of memory? Yet, the study continues, some studies suggest that humans forget approximately 50% of new information within an hour of learning it. And then within 24 hours, that number goes up to an average of 70%. And this report continues and says, short-term memory can hold 
up to seven pieces of information at the same time only for approximately 20 seconds. So you can remember seven things at once for about 20 seconds. That's why when Rachel tells me something, ever since I've read that, I said, you know, that's the eighth thing that I've been trying to remember. <laughs> it's an interesting study, interesting facts or, or, or observations, yet how much more interesting I think it is how our hearts, not our brains, but our hearts, affect our practical memory. You see, God can do wonderful things in our lives and we can see huge answers to prayers only to be overcome by the next problem we face. It's not because our minds don't remember. It's because our hearts don't remember. You see, many times, it's not so much our mental memory, but our spiritual memory that's at a lack. And in this chapter, chapter 4 of Joshua, we see that God orchestrates a divine miracle. You could say it's sort of a second Exodus event. You have the crossing of the Red Sea and, and now a very similar event, the crossing of the Jordan River. God orchestrates here a divine miracle, but even more than that, God desires in this chapter, to etch this dramatic event in the hearts of His people for ages to come. You know, when you think about it, we too, as believers, are participants in a miraculous exodus event. That we've been delivered from the tyranny of sin and death and we too are called to memorialize this reality in our hearts. In fact, we have two wonderful examples of memorializing and solidifying this miraculous event in our hearts with, with the two ordinances that God has given us, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. When we think specifically even of the Lord's Supper, we, we think that we're to tangibly take part in remembering what Jesus has done for us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.24, do this in remembrance of Me. We are etching it into our hearts. In fact, that's the title of today's sermon. That... We are to do this in remembrance. And over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at three aspects of God's call for Israel to remember. And then we're going to look at how this should be playing out in our lives individually and corporately. This morning, as we set to look out at the first ten verses of Joshua 1, we want to look at this call to remember. And then next work, week, we're going to be looking that, at an act that's worth remembering. And then we're going to conclude chapter 4 with the importance of remembering. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that You would be at work through Your Word Lord, as we look at the written Word, I pray that Your Spirit 
would work in our hearts through the living Word. And Lord, that You would etch in our hearts the importance of what You have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A conquering faith is a faith in Christ. And that is going to require us to hold and to cling to Christ and what He has done. And in this chapter, we are going to look at the call to remember that God gives Israel concerning the crossing of the Jordan River. And this morning, I want to look at four aspects of this call to remember that God gives the people of Israel. That God gives Joshua to tell the people of Israel. The first aspect of this call to remember is that God gives this as a tangible expression of remembering. It wasn't just something, as we will see as we continue through the chapter, that they were just to remember with their minds, but it was tangible. They could see it. They could touch it. If we look at the first three verses of of Joshua 4, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. As we look at this tangible expression of remembrance, we see in verse 1 that the people did indeed cross the Jordan. In fact, uh, verse 1 is a continuation of of verse 17 of chapter 3. And there it says in verse 17, all Israel was passing over on dry ground. All of them, just like the crossing of the Red Sea. Not a single person was lost. In verse 1 of chapter 4 that we just read, it says, when all the nation had finished passing. We see here that all is emphasized. Verse 17, all Israel, all the nation. Verse 2 shows us that every single tribe was to be represented here. The Lord said to Joshua, take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man. So, one individual from each of the tribes were presented. Why? To represent all of the people. Not a single tribe was to be left out. And then we see in verse 3 that twelve stones were taken. What the Lord commands Joshua to tell the people, take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. We see here, first of all, the the idea of these 12 stones. And again, these 12 stones were to 
each stone was to represent one of the tribes. We also notice the location from which these stones were taken, the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. So again, these stones represent the safety and provision that God provides, that, that they're taken right from the very spot of possible danger. It emphasizes here, says, 12 stones from the Jordan, from the very place where the, feet, where, where the priest's feet stood firmly, bring them to the place where you lodge tonight. We see here they were to take possession of them. They were to be with them in the camp. They were to be visual and tangible tokens of God's work. Folks, in each of our lives, we have a visible, tangible expression of God's working. We see God's handiwork in the details of our lives over and over again. We see the, the tangible expression as we gather together as God's people and we see the reality that God has gathered locally here what is representative, representative of what God has done worldwide that we have a gathering of people here worshiping our Lord and Savior. It was to be in their hearts. It was to be in their presence. We see that this was a tangible expression of remembrance. But then we also continue in this passage and we see not only was this a tangible expression of remembrance, but this was a corporate expression of remembrance. This was for all of the people together. They were to give testimony to God's provision. Look at verse 4. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed. And again, a man for each tribe. All of the people are represented. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. You see, this was to be a testimony to God's provision. That God's presence, which was represented with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence to the people of Israel. And where was God's presence... As the people were passing by, it was right there in the place of danger, in the river. And these stones were gathered from the midst of the river. And these 12 guys, I don't know if they were strong guys, but they were to take these, these rocks, these boulders, and they were to put them on their shoulder and walk them to the shore. Now yesterday, there was a group of, of us guys from the church that were uh, working on, on the MAPES roof, and uh, since Tim and I don't know anything about roofing, 
Uh, guess, guess who the guys were that were taking the uh, shingles on their shoulder up the ladder? And, you know, as I, as I was reading this passage, I couldn't help but think of taking those shingles on, on my shoulder up. And, in fact, my shoulder's sore today. It was a job. But these rocks were taken from the midst of the Jordan, put on the shoulders of, of, of uh, these guys, one from each tribe, and they were brought out of the river to the camp. And verse 6 shows us that this was to be for a sign. In verse 6 it says, that this may be a sign among you. So was there anything special about these rocks? About these small boulders? The rocks in and of themselves were, were not important. Other than to the reality to which they pointed. In fact, that's what one individual says concerning signs in the Old Testament. Have it, this quotation on the, on the slide for you. It says, In the Old Testament, a sign is a visible object, action, or event that conveys information to authenticate something else. So why were these stones important? Because they pointed to God's covenant provision to what the Israelites could not accomplish or access on their own. As the children of Israel gathered these stones, they were able to say, we have these stones due to what God has done. Were it not for God, we would never have these. I mean, they were taken literally out of the middle of the Jordan River. They were taken literally where the priests were standing on dry ground. Only God could do this. They were not to forget. They were not to forget individually, but they were also not to forget corporately as a people. How many times do we see God work in our lives and man, we're praying about things and we're asking for God to be at work and Lord, would you help me in this difficulty? Would you help me in this trial? Would you, would you, would you bring healing? Whatever it may be. And God does indeed work and we see God's handiwork and how easy it is to be like, well, thank you, God. And then we just keep moving on. You see, that's what God was telling the children of Israel to avoid. Because man, if, if the children of Israel could, could forget, were in danger of forgetting, something as magnificent as seeing waters part and walking through on dry ground, how easy is it to forget the things in our lives? The working of God in our hearts. How easy is it to forget that the battle has been won? That we are victors? That God is doing that good and perfect work in our hearts? 
even through difficulty. The third aspect of this memorial is that this was not only a tangible expression of remembrance and a corporate expression of remembrance, that this is what God has done for us. But this was a confessional expression of remembrance. This was to teach a truth. This was a confessional expression of cross-generational significance. This wasn't just for the hands and the feet and the eyeballs of the people that were alive that day that crossed the river. Look at what the Scriptures say in verse 6. This shall be a sign among you. What shall... Uh, uh, where does the sign point to? It says, when your children ask you in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A couple observations about this confessional expression of remembering. That this memorial was to teach. First of all, it was meant to be a cro- of cross-generational significance. When your children ask you in time to come. In other words, those that haven't even been born yet. It's interesting as one individual says, this crossing of the Jordan by all the Israelites is not just an experience of the present generation. Future generations of Israelites will also acknowledge it they will participate in it through observing the sign and through hearing the explanation. They were to participate through the retelling of this event as the children see the memorial that's built, these 12 stones, and they say, what does this mean? And this was to be passed on to the next generation. Here we see Old Testament discipleship. How many times in our lives do we see one generation living for God, but that doesn't carry through to the next generation? Every generation is called to disciple the next one. We see that when God delivered uh, Israel from, from Egypt, God institutes the Passover, and the Passover is meant to be um, not only a recognition of what God has done, but a passing on of what God has done to the next generation. God says uh, the, that He gives His law, and the law is to be, was to be passed on to the next generation of Israelites. So we see here, That the fathers, the mothers, 
were to pass on this working of God. One practical question, if you're a parent here, and maybe you have small children, maybe you have teenagers, those that you have in the house, maybe you're a grandparent here today, and you have children, teenagers that are your grandchildren, how much time do you take talking to your children about the things of the Lord? How, many to- how much time do you take talking to your children about things that God has taught you in your life? I find in my life it's easy for God to be at work in my heart but I'm not communicating those things to to, to my children to be able to instill in them the things that they need. It's so easy to talk about the calendar for the day or the week or the homework or the sports uh, games uh, or the practices and all of those things. And before you know it, There's no communication on the things of eternal worth. You see, it wasn't this generation that would forget what God did. It was the next one. In fact, at the end of Joshua, it says that when the generation that came into Israel when they died off and and the elders that were with Joshua died off, that the book of Judges comes, the next generation uh, rises, and we see every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. You see, either for the positive or, or for the negative, we are each disciplers. You are reproducing yourself and your children in both the positive ways and negative ways. If you are weak in the faith, you're discipling your children to be weak in the faith. Whatever your priorities are in life, whatever your goals are, whatever those focus points in life that you have, those are by nature being instilled to your children. If we want to have children that are grounded in the faith, we have to be grounded in the faith. And then, not only that, we have to be proactively, tangibly seeking opportunities to instill in that younger generation the realities of God's Word and God's working. And it really does start in the home. We have all sorts of children's ministries in this church, but that is not going to solidify anything unless it's happening in the home. You see, this expression, this memorial, was of cross-generational significance, not simply for those who physically walked through on dry ground. But not only that, number two, this confessional expression 
was also of personal significance. The children will ask, what do these stones mean to you? Literally, you could read, what are these stones to you? What's so important, Mom? What's so important, Dad, about these stones? You see, the reality of what God has done as represented in these simple stones or boulders was to be a reality that had penetrated the hearts of the Israelites. And when the children say, what do those mean to you? They are, uh, those parents are able to verbalize and maybe not even parents, but it can just be the older generation to the younger are able to verbalize, this is who our God is. This is what He has done. But man, if those stones don't mean too much to the Israelite, how are they going to express that to the next generation without being hypocritical or just forgetting it altogether? And what you see in the Old Testament is the downward degradation of generations. And how simple it is to slowly lose the awe and the wonder of what God has done and is doing in our lives. I want to share with you one more um, statement that I just thought was so good that rather than just say it in my own words. I wanted to have it on the screen for you. This person says, we observe a certain assumption operating in chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Namely, that the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. Just as in a marriage, the real threat may not be infidelity, but simply a slow process of forgetting and a gradual failure to remember the preciousness of the other person. So Joshua says, you must remember what Yahweh has done. And these stones are to serve as visual aids to that end. We can all probably think in our minds, if, if you're married today, that, that how easy it is, as, as in that statement, to slowly over time you get used to the routines and you get used to the normalcy of life together with your spouse and you do start to take them for granted. And, and, and you start to, to just kind of go through the motions. It's no different in our relationship with the Lord. And God in His goodness sets reminders for us. We see the reminder, for instance, of the Lord's Supper, a tangible expression of what God has done. We see reminders as we open God's Word on a consistent basis to spend time with Him, to study His Word, to know who He is and what He says. You cannot live a close relationship with God without consistently partaking of these reminders. 
But this was also a confessional expression that was sourced simply in what God has done. Verse 7 says, here's what the parents or those that are older will tell the younger. Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. This was sourced. The confessional expression is, this is what our God has done. In other words, this was passing down the actions of God. Our God did this for us. The same God that did this is the same God that we serve today. But it was also a passing down of the character of God. Because His actions show His character. This is God's character. God protects and provides for us. And He will for you as well. As one person said, this is not simply a miracle, but it's an expression of covenant fidelity or covenant faithfulness. And also, this confessional expression, the text tells us at the end of verse 7, it will stand, it is to stand the test of time. It says, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. It was to be forever with the people. It was to be in their hearts. It was to be in their minds. Why? Because it was to bolster their faith. You see, as one person said, God will not always act so demonstrably. God will not always, as the people step to a river, God is not always going to to part that river or to stop the water so that there's dry ground. So they were to see that this is the great thing that God did. So even if I'm not seeing these miraculous events every day, I know that this is what my God is capable of. Wouldn't it be great if God was just all the time, He was just just acting in a big way here, and in a big way here, and in a big way here, and in a big way here. But if that happened, what would we have? We would have a God according to our own making. We would have kind of the genie on the bottle type God. And we see the greatest act of God in sending His Son rescuing us, giving us life when we were dead. And man, if we don't keep that front and center, it is not that that we're going to have to not fight to do that. It is not that we are not going to go through dry spells in our Christian life. It is not that we are not going to be struggling with routines and God, I don't understand this. And and God, if, if you really are who you say you are, why aren't you doing this? No, we all fight those battles. 
But the reason we have memorials in our lives to what God has done is because we realize that there are times that we are not going to necessarily see God working as easy as we do at other times. But listen, we mark it down that as Romans 8 says, if God did not withhold his own son from us, how is he going to not with him also freely give us all things? And the context of that are the all things that we need in the Christian life. If God has done what is greatest, he's not going to overlook the lesser things. So as the children of Israel look at these stones, they are to say, if our God can do this, then man, when the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Philistines come knocking, we can run to this God because we already know what He can do. We don't need to run to other nations for help or ourselves. We have to run to God. Folks, that's the way it is in our lives. We know what God, who God is. We know what He has done. But are we running to Him? You see, this memorial, this greater memorial of what Christ has done for us, it, above all else, is a, more, a memorial forever. And it is meant to bolster our everyday faith. Not only that, but this memorial we see here, and and as we as Christians look to Jesus as, as uh, as our memorial, our Savior, it is to guide our commitment. You see, why were the children of Israel to be committed to God? Why are we to be committed to Christ? Not because somehow we muster up this commitment in ourselves, but we are committed in light of God's commitment to us. And those stones stood as a a representation of God's commitment to His people. God was not going to abandon them or let them go. And God, likewise, is not going to abandon us or let us go. Why are we committed to Him? Because He is committed to us. And also, this was to be a commitment, a memorial forever, because it was to solidify the people's unity. The people would say, this is our God. We together are His people. Let us serve Him together. Let us love one another as He shows His love to us. Man, the same thing is true for us. All of this we see. And very quickly, as we end today, verses 8 to 10, we see that this was to be an obedient expression of remembrance. We see obedience in verses 8 to 10 by three different uh, um, 
groups of people here. Verse 8 says, The people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. In verse 8, we see the obedience by the leaders, these 12 leaders of the tribes. They take the stones. And then we see Joshua here. It says, And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. There's obedience by the, the leaders of the tribes. There's obedience by the priests, that the, the, the priests carrying the ark are standing there holding the ark of the covenant until everything is accomplished that the Lord commanded through Joshua. And then we see obedience by Joshua. Verse 9, there's some debate. Is this a second memorial that Joshua then set up in the middle of the, of the river? And then it would be covered over during the flood season and you could still see it when the waters lowered. Um, the second memorial, or is this the same? There's, there's different talk about that. But the key here is that Joshua himself is obeying what God has commanded. And folks, as we have already seen in this passage, these memorials are not meant to be an end in itself. These memorials are to point to something greater and are to spur us on in our faith, in our walk with the Lord, in our obedience to Him. Folks, a conquering faith is a faith in Christ. There is no greater memorial than what Jesus has done on the cross. And folks, the work of Jesus on the cross, the actual action was a past action, but it is a present event. Because the work of the gospel, what Jesus has set out to accomplish in saving his people, it is at work this very moment until the day of eternity. So as we look at what Jesus has done, we're not simply looking backwards. We're looking at both the present and the future. The Israelites, they looked backwards at this is what our God did for us through the Jordan River. So therefore, He's with us today and He's going to be with us tomorrow. Man, aren't we blessed to be living with the greater reality that we look not simply to stones that represent an action of God, but the pinnacle action of God through His Son. We're blessed. We are blessed. 
And as we come together, and as we will see next week, how this points my mind, this should point our minds to both setting up memorials in our lives when we see God working in our hearts, but also those memorials that He has set up for us as a church. Man, that we're seeing what God has done in the lives of people through the waters of baptism. We are seeing as we eat the bread and drink the juice what Jesus has done for us as a people, and it is a corporate expression of Jesus in our lives, in our church. What a blessing. A faith that conquers is a faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You take the time in Joshua to show us the significance of memorials in our lives. God, it is so easy as people, it is so easy as a church to forget what You have done, to walk right past it, God, I pray, Lord, that we would be consciously proactive to recall what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. Lord, it all starts with Jesus. If we put Jesus out of the equation, everything else gets messed up. Lord, the work of Jesus is the great marker in our lives. Father, I pray for those that maybe are believers here today and and they've never gone through the waters of baptism. Father, that is to be the stamp, the marker, the beginning marker of a life of faith. Lord, would they observe that memorial? Lord, I thank you for giving us the marker, the bread and the juice as a church. Lord, those are the big main markers that we must not neglect. But Lord, then we also look at the markers in our everyday lives, spending time in your word. Father, prayer. Lord, even maybe it's as practical as writing a journal of ways that you are working and prayers that are answered. That we can go back to when we feel discouraged to be reminded that you are at work. Lord, I pray that your spirit speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.